Welcome to Lumpen Week in Review, the show that covers the past week of news, happenings, and programs presented on Lumpen Radio. This week, we chatted about the jazz scene in our city, learned about the secret history of soccer in America, and discussed art you can see now, virtually, in Chicago. All this plus the Trump Diaries, Size Matters, and AWCYFM, only on the Lumpen Week in Review for December 11, 2020. Mario Smith spoke to Scotty McNeese about the emergence of Chicago's new wave of jazz and how his label, International Anthem, has been in the middle of it. McNeese talked about promoting shows, quarantining in California, and trusting people's tastes. Only on News from the Service Entrance every Thursday at 2 p.m. Joining me on the phone is one of the uh, most unique cats you will meet if you get a chance to meet him. Uh, he is part of the team that 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 co-founder actually of international anthem records an amazing lineup of superstars on that 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 wonderful label um and he somehow put together what could easily be uh described as a motown for the new generation but just with jazz music it's my man scotty mcneese also the purveyor of great hats what up, man? Hey, what up? I got my 606 Records hat on, too. I see you. Look at you. <laughs> Repping for the people. How you doing, uh, Scotty? It's good to see your face. Folks can't see you, but it's good to see your face. Yeah, nice to see you, too, Mario. Right on, man. Um, I am, I am fascinated by the international anthem story, um, I, but I want to talk about you for a minute first. You're a musician. I've seen your work. I've seen you bang on the drums a few times. Um, when you when you were when you were pursuing that part of the of your music life, did you ever see the pivot happening where you would go straight into A and R and co-founding a label? And and, and was that kind of like to make sure that you got your product out, that you have <laughs> your own label to be sure that that somebody would be able to hear your music? No uh opposite i guess <laughs> i mean i feel like starting a label was my desire to express my musical interest in a way that's different than playing it um uh i mean well i guess when i was playing i was i played in bands i was i always found myself being like the person who was kind of managing the band that i was in mm -hmm. uh just uh I guess I just had like kind of a an intuition for being a little bit more managerial. Also, I noticed back in those days, a lot of the bands that we were friends with and that we would play with and work with, a lot of the time, I'm a drummer, and a lot of the times, the person who was kind of managing the business of the band was the drummer. Uh, I don't know mm -hmm. something about <laughs> something about drummers, where it's like, uh, I, I used to think, I wonder if it's because like oftentimes a drummer maybe has like an innate insecurity that they're the most replaceable part of the band or something. <laughs> but, uh, right. It's because you're carrying all that. that crap. That's probably what it is. <laughs> that too. I mean, there was, that, that was part, that was part of my, maybe it was my young insecurity at the time, but I think maybe as I got into like running a label, I started to realize, I mean, I say this to people all the time that I think what I do for this label, I'm basically playing the drums. Like mm -hmm. I'm creating a, a structure for artists to, to like, be heard you know and that's kind of what a drummer does in a band too so so i maybe i guess founding a label and and, and running it and doing an a and r and whatnot but i still think of what i'm doing is playing the drums so um i uh i i think when we when we look at that just going back with the drummer the drummer is kind of like the point guard on a basketball team the drummer in a band is like you know okay look i'm keeping this time you cats gotta keep up with me 
I look at Micaiah when Micaiah plays with a bass player, whether whoever it is, Junius or whoever, and how he is literally the leader, even if it's not him in his own band. When we did the Donny Hathaway tribute, I got to watch him and Charles Heath play together and how both of those dudes both kind of served as coach for the rest of the cats that were playing. That's an important spot in, in, in the unit like that. With International Anthem not being new to the game anymore, but still a lot of people are catching on to what you're trying to do. The ultimate goal is always to get good music to the world, but you seem to have captured something that a lot of people have tried to do in the past, particularly here in Chicago and have failed at it. You got a bunch of amazing Chicago musicians to agree on principle to be dope without <laughs> being without being ridiculous. How did you manage to get this line up to be that? <laughs> I mean, I think I don't know. I don't, I don't want to take credit at all for any of the artist's dopeness. I think that <laughs> the dopeness but, was in them. And then, but, we but just, you know what I mean? I mean, well, let me just real quick. I, I mean. Ego is an, is, a, is an amazing thing, right? And you managed to get, getting all those different kinds of energies it, to, be, to be in one thing like that. That's, that's a feat of strength to me. And, and it's one of the things that when I first met you, I was like, wow, this is amazing. Junius, Micaiah, Angel, Jeff, um, Ben Lamar Gay, just all these great people. And then you irreversible entanglements, brandy, and just it's crazy how how that happened to me. Man, I mean, yeah, I don't know. I guess I don't know how to I don't really know what the formula is. <laughs> I think mm. that uh we from the beginning we were doing what felt right and we were trying to be uh collaborative about it and communal and collectivist and I think I think that regardless of ego, I think that artists, I mean, especially in jazz, like, I mean, not that, not that everything we put out is jazz, but we kind of come from that scene and that, and it's a kind of a mindset, you know, is, is I think that it's a collaborative art form. And, uh, I think people kind of realize that you kind of, you know, the strength of your music is, is how is, is kind of a lot of that is based on the quality of the musicians who are performing it. And, um, so I think that it was almost natural for musicians who come from that tradition to want to to be part of something with with others, you know, regardless yeah. of egos and whatnot. And I mean, I don't know from the beginning, like we started, we just started like we were promoting shows from the beginning. So I mean, originally that was the that was how we kind of created a base of people working together was we were putting on shows and people needed shows, you know. And then we just got to know a lot of different people because we were putting the shows on, and then we decided my partner David and, and I and we had a partner at the beginning named Joe Darling who um, kind of moved on at, at early on but um, we, when we decided to start the label it was just kind of a natural outgrowth of putting on shows and we already had really healthy relationships with a lot of the folks so just kind of I mean from the beginning it was Mazurik and Micaiah and then with Micaiah there were so many artists on his record that there was already like a pool of people who were just kind of involved and then from there it was like okay we have a we have the roots. We have the roots of the tree, and now it's like, okay, well, it was just from there. It was just focusing on people who were connected to what was already happening and growing it from there. And that's how people like Brandy and Desron, like who you just mentioned, got involved. Even though, even though they're New York players, like you know, they've spent a lot of time in Chicago. They've collaborated with Micaiah and other people on our label, and so it was just a natural outgrowth of the tree. And yeah, 
I think that's like the most special thing about Chicago music is that it's like, it's like it, it supersedes the municipality. It's not. It, it's it's like it's an idea and it's it's an art form. I mean, these people like you mentioned, Jeff Parker. Everybody's like Chicago musician, Jeff Parker, but just living in L.A. Jamie Branch, yes, but she's living in New York. When we recorded yeah. Jamie Branch's album, that was kind of the whole vibe. It was like the the lineup was Jamie Branch, Tamika Reed, Chad Taylor, Jason Ajemian, all mm. of whom across the board the average music listener familiar with their work of like oh cool chicago musician right but you know they were all in new york at the time yeah. and but that's that's the special thing about chicago music is it's kind of like this it's this like i mean for lack of a better word it's like this fraternity or sorority of of artists under kind of like that have this common an experience here and common idea of what music is and what it should be and it kind of has grown into this massive worldwide network of of creative music and um you know, think about the art ensemble of chicago you know mm -hmm. uh, that's those those are people from all over the world playing in that band now and but it's it's very much the art ensemble of chicago and so i think yeah. our label kind of we just were inspired by that mentality and we just did what felt right from the beginning and, and we've been lucky that it's kind of grown into something you know let me let me ask you real quick um we're in the midst of an, an incredible moment on the planet Earth with the global pandemic. Um, and as a person that works in the service industry that worked in a music venue uh, for a while, um, the idea that our venues in Chicago and around the world, particularly though here at home, um, your metros, your, your, your Vic theaters, your promontories, your parkways, everybody shut down. Uh, you talked about uh promoting artists at, at the beginning of of your journey what do you think is going to be the way that these venues are able to to make a solid return and i know the eagerness of artists to play <laughs> they they would play now if they could on these stages even if there was nobody in them but a lot of cats have, have effectively been rendered out of work because of the pandemic and making no money at all touring it, 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 one, what what do you think it's going to take to get these venues and stuff back in order? And have you started formulating a plan for when that <laughs> when that does happen? How to get your 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 label um, mates, if you will, back out here and, and flourishing in in this new environment once we get the uh, vaccinations going? Man, I mean. I've never run a venue. I've done a lot of shows, I guess. And I used to bartend. That's kind of how I got into putting on shows because I was putting on shows in the bar I bartended at. And, but what I've never bar was it? Uh, it was Guilt Bar down the River North. Okay. Uh, There's a basement bar called Q, and that was where I got kind of got started promoting jazz music. But, okay. um, so, but I was going to say, I don't, I don't, I've never run a venue, so I don't, I don't really fully understand the kind of challenges that venues are up against right now um financially i can imagine i guess and i mean as far as what's going to take i mean honestly i just think these places need to be able to survive uh <laughs> just long enough for our our you know society to get vaccinated however long that takes mm -hmm. um because i because i honestly believe once we get past this pandemic once once we have hive immunity and enough people have been vaccinated I honestly believe that we're due for like another roaring 20s. I think people are going to go crazy. They're going to want to party. I'm, I mean, personally, I can't wait. I'm going to eat out every night of the week. Like, <laughs> I'm, ready. I'm ready for it. So it's like, I think if the venues can survive, 
the people will be there. I mean, the venue, I, they might, they might honestly enjoy the biggest, you know, boom of success that they've ever seen. And as long as there's people filling the venues and wanting to fill venues, um, there's, there's going to be artists who want to play. I mean, I, I'm feeling very hopeful about all that. It's just a matter of whether or not, um, I mean, honestly, it's kind of up to the government right now to be able to keep these people alive, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, so I don't, I don't really the, know. I mean, you're not the first person I've heard use the Roaring Twenties reference either. I, I'm hearing that a lot lately. I mean, man, just think about it. Like, everybody, like, I mean, God, we're so cooped up, man. It's just going to be a release. Like, I'm, I'm ready for it. I think it's going to be exciting and fun. You know, um, it's going to be inspiring. Everyone's going to have a whole new outlook too. You know, all every single person right right now, their perspective has changed. Yeah, uh, I think it's going to be a really wonderful time to be alive and to be part of culture. Um, and hopefully, you know, I mean, the music venues. I hope. I mean, I don't. I don't really know. Like, the, the, maybe they won't be able to exist as they are. Maybe they will. I don't know. Um, hopefully, they can survive this, and then we'll still have those nice rooms to do shows in and. And if they can't, people will undoubtedly want to get together somewhere, and musicians will want to perform for them, and somebody will be able to make money off of that. So, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm hopeful, I'm hopeful, but I don't I don't really like I said I don't really fully understand what the venues are up against as far as administrative costs and what they need to survive. You know. Jamie chatted with Doug Logan, the former commissioner of Major League Soccer and a longtime impresario. Logan discussed his beginnings in the circus, soccer's growth in the USA, and where sports will end up after the pandemic. Radio Free Bridgeport returns Tuesdays in 2021 at 4 p.m. The, the thing that I have found most interesting in talking to people with your experience, you talk about your history from, from doing concerts all the way to working and building a homeless program. You know, it's interesting to see that, to your point, the one thing that I think people that have, have, have been in your business in all different aspects is that the fan or the experience or at at end of the day, uh, creating an experience that people enjoy. And, and in order to do that, you have to empathetically understand. And, and I think what I've seen is that people like yourself like people. And I know that sounds like a strange statement, but it is. It seems like that is the important thing. Um, we do. There's another. There's another thing tied to it, and that is that 
that you sit back and, and, and think about it, there's an anthropology to it, okay? Part of the anthropology of being a human person is to want to come together to share an experience. The interesting thing about that is that it doesn't have to be a good experience. People sometimes come together to share bad experiences, and I would talk about some political rallies that are going on in this country <laughs> at the present time. But but there is a yearning to to come together and compress. That's the scary part of what our business is all about, is that it's no good without compression. I mean, the stuff that you're looking at the EPL right now with a, with a a couple of fans here and a couple of fans there, a couple of the college football and NFL football game, that doesn't work. And we, we know it doesn't work, those of us that started up with soccer, because we started taking large stadiums and trying to make small stadiums out of large stadiums with tarps and, with the, and, and, and shutting off sections. You need that sense of compression because you need to feel the emoting of that person on your right and the person on your left and the person behind you and feel like you're a part of it and it's it's extraordinarily tactile and visceral so that until people can comfortably compress you're going to have problems in this business and yeah. and hopefully that day is months off and not years off but once the fear of compression is gone, then you can start again doing twosies and foursies and six, you know, ticket packages that will encourage people to start. But but people are going to have to work. They're not going to be able to, you know, throw the ball out there in the in the center circle and say, okay, we're playing. That means that, you know, the stands are going to be full. It's it's not going to happen that way. There's going to be an awful lot of hard work to get it all back. There's, I, I think there's, you know, in those markets that are more difficult to, to sell tickets, and certainly the MLS compared to some of the, the leagues that you mentioned have kind of been used to that. So they've been innovative, and we've seen that even in Chicago where right before the, the Blackhawks really took off in 2009 and 10 and on, you know, they borrowed or just took a lot of people from the fire and yep. knew how to sell tickets, knew how to hustle to sell tickets, didn't make any assumptions about next year. And and that certainly for, the, for that franchise helped. It's interesting to hear you make the correlation between gatherings and politics, because we've talked about often the fact that it seemed like the previous administration tapped into something that professional wrestling seemed to, to, to you know, it doesn't have to be a... a a positive experience. You have the hero and the heel and these different storylines. And it seems that they borrowed a lot of that shared experience and, and really were kind of expert at that. It's, it's, it's really, uh, you know, you probably will be able to detect my politics before long if you haven't detected it already, but, but you have to give, give that uh, nascent populism the ability to tap into that populism in the way that they've been able to do it, um, it, 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 it's been fascinating. You know, they, they've got an incredible 
I mean, I sit back and I'm a professional in the business of people coming together. And hopefully I can pull a $20 bill out of their wallet on their way, right? Um, they've, they've got a merchandising arm that is incredible. I mean, and, you know, I won't put it just at politics. You know, I have a feeling what Trump's going to do for the next four years is be the next Billy Graham. You know, he's going to do 10 shows all over the country. Okay. And, and he is going to tap into that same fervor that, that, uh, that the, these traveling evangelists with one week shows, you know, um, we're, we're, we're able to monetize and it's going to be fascinating to watch. He's got, he's got his own show, you know, mm-hmm. and, and he, and he's got his script. Everybody in the audience knows what he's going to say next. Right. It's yeah. almost like a, it's like a beach boys concert. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter that Mike love can't sing because you're singing. Mm-hmm. Right. And uh, so it's, it's, it, everyone is singing along with the beach boys. And in the intervening time, he's building a, a political base that that doesn't have the attributes that that the stereotypical one does. That's why he confounds so many people and why so many rules of the road go out the window. Yeah, people. It, it's I think you know the traditional, which people don't want. They're they're it, it is confounded because they don't want to be an entertainer. But that is exactly the the tendency that that and and you have to give credit. I mean, it's it you yeah. know there's there's yeah some- he's he's Jimmy Swaggered. I I stood there at a Jimmy Swaggered revival. Okay, I mean I've gone to every mass gathering event there is. I mean I've I've sat through truck pulls that I've promoted and taken money out of people's pockets, and I have no idea what people were cheering about. You know, so it's it's but I sat through watching Jimmy Swagger and it was it was a work of art it really was a work of art and some of the stuff that he does some of the babbling that he does he's just learned the a rhythm to it in his own way you know you know one of the things you can learn from a Chicagoan from Jesse Jesse Jackson is it doesn't matter what you're saying as long as you have a rhythm to it and you could almost close your eyes to Jesse and go da 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 and and it was magic i mean it was and and he he would rhyme words and do it do it with a rhythm you notice some of the same stuff coming out of you know out of trump and and it's fascinating i mean you know i'm a i'm a student of this stuff and uh and it's interesting, but he's he's going to be able to monetize it for a long period of time. That's a really interesting observation because I've always attributed the his meaning the president's time in the WWE now um, to, to some of this, and I'm sure that's part of it. But yeah. he also was a very early supporter of Jesse Jackson when he ran for president. I wonder. That's if, right. Uh, yeah. I wonder if that some of that is is there too. He, uh, you know, there's a. There's a lot to be said about him as being. He's a huckster. He's a showman. I mean, you know, uh, as a as a real estate developer, he was a showman. You know, he had to have the the guilt uh, of of uh, of Fifth Avenue and the 
26th floor. There really wasn't the 26th floors because, you know, he needed to, he, he has, that, that has been hyperbolic entertainment and that's what he's been all of his life. Uh, some would say that's because he has no substance to it. Well, you know, you know, going back to another communications guy in years gone by, Marshall McLuhan, you know, the medium is the message. Yeah. With him, the medium is the message, and and the medium is what has sold. And um, you know, some people have tired of the act. You know, there's, you know, all of a sudden we got buyer's remorse, and we got the other guy, but but he's going to be around for a while. <laughs> Yeah, 32nd is just brutal. How can they leave the street like this in front of a school? The city debt works. I'm pretty sure half the street has fallen into the Copro's basement at this point. Mother I just bought that tire. Wow, that hole's huge. What the hell was that? Katie ran over a pothole. It's fine. Are you sure? I'd probably shoot that car and put it out of his misery. Right. No, it's not a Yugo. Hey. Do you guys hear that? Uh, it sounds like it's coming from under your tire. Did you guys hit someone? Quick, we better torch the car now before We're the We're not cops burning get anything. Jesus. Help me push the car back. Uh, Kyle? Uh, why is he wearing yeah. a uniform? Why is someone under the street in the first uh, place? How is that even possible? Oh, hey, guys. Oh, those fallen street rocks really hurt my shemp area. Oh. Uh, Jess, what uh, are you guys doing down there? Uh, Kyle's showing me around the underside. There's tunnels running all through Bridgeport. Come on down. Uh, I'm not so good with confined spaces. Ah, yes, your deadly fun allergy. Come on, guys, leave old man Trekker up there. The door's right in the back of the Copro. Whoa, it's huge down here and super creepy. I don't get it. How is there all this room underneath the streets? Say, Jess, why don't you give them a history lesson? Okay, so all the streets in Bridgeport were raised in the 1850s by 14 feet due to flooding. That left all these tunnels. They go all the way up to Uptown. Yeah, that El Cazone guy used to use them for the bubbles right under the cops' noses. But Kyle, why are you wearing a uniform? Well, Professor Shannington, I'm a dutifully monetized and bonded member of Tristero, the Undertown Postal Society. And these tunnels is how we deliver the messages from the world beyond. You're an underground mailman? You're the least reliable person I know. I am deeply recognizated in that remark, Shannon. I've been delivering the undertown mail since the 1950s, I'll have you know. While that almost certainly can't be true, Shanna, the most important information is that there's a dead letter office down here. Unclaimed goods. Okay. Brought my knife, ready for inspection. Hey, I can't stand around here all day jibber-jabbing. The man needs delivering. So if you guys want to come along, I only got about a dozen more stops. Whoa, that's a pretty sweet mail cart you have there. Yeah, we put a lot of tires from Bridgeport on these old rail carts. Now, you got to stick close, because it ain't all fun and games down here. What's uh, with the musical cues, Kyle? That's a signal to level up, Jess. You're all gonna need infinite hit points for this job. Please turn off the boombox. Ah, you are not as fun as you claim. All right, kids, we gotta stop by Cheddar's house. He's the guy who gets that giant stack of magazines right there. Gigantic asses? Beautiful burrows? <whistles> Look at the hooves on Donkey Miss April. Yeah, he handles all the beasts of burden. You need him down here. Ah, there you go. 
And the next stop is the gas plant, where we turn all your waste into the beautiful clean fuel that powers Undertown. Gross. It smells like a sewer. It is a sewer. Waste snot wants snot. That's what we say. Oh, what's the spur coming up? Just grab the lever. What lever? The one on your left. Yeah, the left. Oh, no, this is terrible. We're still on the rails. It can't be that bad. No, you don't understand. We're headed into Underports Bridge. Kyle, you just lost boombox privileges for a week. Submit. 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 Is that a squid on the back of their head? Quick, Jess. Grab me my whacking shovel. They've been taken over by the flying Avalon. That's a frying pan, you idiot. Whack them good, Jess. No mercy. There's an ink sack? It's everywhere? Get it in your mouth. The eggs will burrow through your stomach. I'm whacking. I'm whacking. They just keep coming. You will bow before Syoctorax. Leech of the bio. We're going over the falls in the Palmasano. Hang on, guys. Oh my god, that's cold. Where the heck are we? And why do I want sushi? Oh, thank heavens you made it. Physically, perhaps. I I think I lost three or four sanity points. That's nothing but the life of an undertown mailman, Jess. What do you say we get this cart back up on the rails and I'll give you rides back to the Copro? No! Okay, but you don't have to be rude about it. This week on the Trump Diaries, the pandemic accelerates as Trump is absent. Trump's appointees continue to block Biden's transition. Trump rages like Richard III in Act 5. Trump's followers threaten election officials. Safe Harbor passes. And Trump continues to claim he won. He didn't. These are the Trump Diaries. Day 1415, December 4th. We have now surpassed 14 million cases in America and set a record for daily deaths from COVID with 3,100. Overall, we are now approaching 275,000 total casualties. Biden will now ask all Americans to wear masks for 100 days after he is inaugurated. In a statement, Biden said, quote, just 100 days to mask, not forever, 100 days. Biden also asked Dr. Anthony Fauci to stay on as the director of the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases, the same position he has held since 1984 across six administrations. Hiring in America is now so slow it could take another 40 months for the job market to fully recover. Unemployment remains at 6.7%. Ten and a half million Americans are officially out of work. There was some movement in Congress as pressure grew on Senate leader Mitch McConnell to bring a bill to the floor for pandemic relief. The Republican leader has refused to let two House bills passed and made come to the floor, but a new proposal totaling around $1 trillion appears to be gathering steam. That bill does not include another round of stimulus checks to Americans. Republican strategists have said McConnell does not want to spend money now as he wishes a sharp turn to austerity under Biden in an attempt to sabotage his presidency. Wisconsin Supreme Court refused to hear Trump's lawsuit, attempting to overturn his loss in the battleground state, sidestepping a decision on the case's merits. The defeat on a 4-3 ruling on Thursday was the latest in a string of unbroken losses for Trump, but the three arch-conservative justices on the board claimed in their dissent the decision would, quote, forever stain the election, suggesting they might have ruled to aid Trump. Trump and Attorney General William Barr also had a contentious two-and-a-half-hour meeting at the White House after Barr had closed that the Justice Department had not uncovered evidence of widespread voter fraud that would change the election. When asked by reporters whether he now had confidence in Barr, Trump replied, quote, ask me that in a couple of weeks from now. They should be looking at all of this fraud. He hasn't done anything. He hasn't looked, which is a disappointment, to be honest with you. 
in a related story, the White House liaison to the Justice Department was banned from that building after trying to pressure staffers to give up information about election fraud. Heidi Stirrup had been installed at the Justice Department as liaison by Chief of Staff Mark Meadows in September. Former Presidents Obama, Bush, and Clinton volunteered to get their COVID-19 vaccines on camera to promote public confidence. Meanwhile, White House Press Secretary Kayleigh McEnany referred to the, quote, Trump vaccine as a tremendous achievement, crediting the accomplishment to, quote, having a businessman as president. And the White House suddenly fired several members of the Pentagon's Defense Business Board. Trump then appointed former campaign manager Corey Lewandowski and partisan lawyer David Bossy to the board in their stead. The firings came less than a month after Trump removed Defense Secretary Mark Esper. Day 1,416, December 5th. Jared Kushner's lawyer and a top Trump fundraiser were investigated over a scheme to offer bribes in exchange for pardons. Abby Lowell and Elliot Brody were the subject of an investigation as recently as this summer into possible unregistered lobbying and bribery related to securing clemency for Hugh Barras, who had received a prison sentence on conviction of tax evasion. The scheme involved Sanford Diller, who is a major real estate developer, making a substantial political contribution to Trump in exchange for a pardon. Brody, meanwhile, pleaded guilty in October to a different scheme to lobby the Trump administration. Ivanka Trump was deposed as part of a suit from the D.C. Attorney General over the cost of Trump's inauguration. The Attorney General's office is suing the inaugural committee for, quote, grossly overpaying for event space at the Trump International Hotel. The committee spent $1 million to rent event space at the Trump's family's hotel. In response, Ivanka Trump tweeted an image of an email she says she sent in December 2016 in which she called for a, quote, fair market rate to be charged and claimed, quote, this inquiry is another politically motivated demonstration of vindictiveness and a waste of taxpayer dollars. Meanwhile, Trump is seeking to preemptively pardon as many as 20 aides and associates before leaving office. Republicans, however, saying offering those reprieves to his friends and family members would be both unprecedented and could tarnish his legacy in front of a 2024 presidential bid. Day 1417, December 6th. The State Department determined that a series of mysterious ailments that sickened American spies and diplomats was caused by radio frequency energy. In other words, it was an attack by microwave weaponry. Those attacks occurred first in Havana, Cuba in 2016, and then in China and other countries. Many of the diplomats suffered from dizziness, headaches, and more, and some were forced into retirement. The CIA suggests Russia is the culprit, given their long history of experimenting with that technology. In news that will surprise no one, Trump's lawyer, Rudy Giuliani, tested positive for COVID-19. He's the latest member of that team to contract the virus. The Arizona legislature will now close for a week out of an abundance of caution after Giuliani possibly exposed several Republican lawmakers to COVID in a meeting there. Public health officials in Michigan ordered several state lawmakers to be in quarantine after they were also in recent close contact with Giuliani. Lawyer Jenny Ellis also tested positive. Trump tweeted, quote, get better soon, Rudy, we will carry on. The EPA declined to adopt stricter regulations on soup pollution, disregarding the recommendation of its own scientists. Andrew Wheeler, who was appointed by Trump, signed the standards to retain the current thresholds for fine particle pollution for another five years. Also, a federal judge has ordered Trump to fully restore the Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals program. Trump had tried to end DACA in September 2017. In July, Chad Wolf, who was the acting secretary for the Department of Homeland Security, suspended DACA. However, a district judge ruled that Wolf had unlawfully ascended to that agency's job, and therefore his suspension of DACA was illegal. 
Day 1418, December 7th. Trump continues to try to pressure Republicans to subvert the will of the people. Trump called Georgia Governor Brian Kemp to pressure him to call the state legislature into session so that Republican majorities there could appoint new electors who would vote for him instead of Joe Biden at the Electoral College. He also asked Kemp to order an audit of signatures on ballots, something that has already been done and is impossible to repeat. Trump tweeted, quote, I will easily and quickly win Georgia if Governor Brian Kemp and the Secretary of State permit a simple signature verification has not been done and will show large-scale discrepancies. Why are these two Republicans saying no? If we win Georgia, everything else falls in place. Kemp told Trump he did, in fact, not have the authority to order an audit and deny the request to call a special session. The Georgia Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger, meanwhile, said a special session to overturn the election, quote, would be then nullifying the will of the people. Trump then ramped up the pressure at a rally in Georgia, ostensibly for two Republican Senate candidates, where he repeated multiple lies about the election. Georgia's top election official said the state had, quote, counted legally cast ballots three times and the results remained unchanged ahead of a recertification of the election results. Georgia so far has resisted Trump's pressure. Trump also twice called the Republican Speaker of the Pennsylvania House of Representatives to ask him how Republicans plan to reverse the results of the election. Biden won that state by more than 80,000 votes. Trump ordered the withdrawal of a majority of U.S. troops from Somalia in early 2021. There are currently about 700 troops in the nation to assist that government's fight against al-Shabaab and as a terrorist group with links to al-Qaeda. And Melania Trump has announced completion of a new White House tennis pavilion. The project refurbished a White House tennis court and grandchildren's garden and erected a new 1,200-square-foot building on the South Lawn. Day 1419, December 8th. Trump's administration continues to ignore requests from Biden's transition team to meet with officials at the NSA, the Defense Intelligence Agency, and other intelligence services. The Pentagon's recently appointed Chief of Staff, Kosh Patel, reportedly told everybody we're not going to cooperate with the transition team. Patel was the former Chief of Staff for Devin Nunes and is seen as a hyper-partisan figure. At the Environmental Protection Agency, political appointees have joined virtually every discussion between career staff members and Biden's team monitoring conversations on climate change, scientific research, and other topics. At the State Department, such drop-ins are happening on what Trump appointees define as an ad-needed basis. And at the United States Agency for Global Media, which is the parent of Voice of America, that Trump-appointed leader is refusing to cooperate with Biden's team. 20 protesters, some of them armed, stood in front of Secretary of State Jocelyn Benson's home in Detroit, Michigan for about half an hour, chanting through bullhorns that they refused to accept the results of the election, which, of course, President-elect Joe Biden won in Michigan by more than 154,000 votes. No audit, no peace, they shouted, claiming that Benson was a murderer and a felon. Officers with the Detroit Police Department showed up after about 20 minutes. No arrests were made. Also, a Michigan state representative who is black was threatened with being lynched after she heard testimony claiming voter fraud following Biden's win over Trump. State Representative Cynthia Johnson, a Detroit Democrat, posted the call she received to her Facebook page. It transcribed as, quote, your time is coming from the expletive gallows. You'll be hanging. And the Republican Party of Arizona on Twitter twice called for their supporters to be willing to, quote, die for something or give my life for this fight. Trump supporters nationwide have started to flood voicemail, cell phones, and inboxes of elected officials across the country with angry messages and threats. The tenor has seemed to grow more menacing as Trump's efforts appear even more unlikely to succeed, some officials said. 
And in a related story, the nation's former cybersecurity and infrastructure security chief has sued the Trump campaign, attorney Joseph DiGenova, and the cable channel Newsmax for defamation. Christopher Krebs was sacked last month after saying the recent presidential election was the most secure in American history. DiGenova subsequently said in an interview aired on Newsmax that Krebs should be drawn and quartered and taken out at dawn and shot. And a federal judge dismissed Michael Flynn's prosecution after Trump's pardon. Judge Emmett Sullivan said the pardon, which he called extraordinarily broad, does not mean Flynn is innocent of lying to FBI agents. Sullivan also called the Justice Department's previous arguments for dismissing the case dubious to say the least, and said he likely would have rejected them. Day 1420, December 9th. On a day when national health experts warned January could see grim death tolls due to the holidays, the U.S. surpassed 15 million coronavirus cases, adding 1 million in just five days. That is a rapid acceleration of the pandemic, showing how widespread it is. The USC is now saying 200,000 new cases a day, and that is increasing. Deaths are also increasing dramatically. We saw a record toll with 16,000 Americans killed in a single week. That is the highest anywhere in the world. Amid this, at a rambling press conference, Trump tried to take credit for the rapid development of vaccines, even as news broke that Trump's administration missed several chances to buy millions of additional doses of vaccines from Pfizer. There's now also grave concern over how the vaccines will be rolled out. There apparently are serious shortage of materials and glass vials for distribution and a lack of money and planning at the state level. Trump then issued an executive order that prioritized the shipment of the vaccine to Americans before other nations. Monsef Slaoui, who is the chief scientist of Operation Warp Speed, was unable to explain how that executive order would be enforced, saying, quote, frankly, I don't know, and frankly, I'm staying out of this. I can't comment. I literally don't know. And Washington continues to be roiled by Trump's inaction. He has reportedly stopped showing up to work. In a related story, Attorney General William Barr has told aides he will step down before Trump's term ends next month, largely due to Trump's incessant attacks on the DOJ over the election. He has accused Barr publicly of being part of a conspiracy to deny him a second term. Trump and Republicans also continue to try and overturn the popular vote. The state of Texas has filed a lawsuit against the states of Georgia, Michigan, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin at the Supreme Court, claiming the changes the states made to election procedures amid the pandemic were unlawful. The extraordinary suit announced by the Republican Attorney General of Texas, Ken Paxton, was filed directly with the Supreme Court. Federal judges in Michigan and Georgia have denied Republican efforts to decertify Biden as the winner of the election. In a related story, the Supreme Court threw out a suit that sought to invalidate some 2.5 million ballots in Pennsylvania. In an unsigned opinion without dissent, the court rejected a long-shot appeal by Trump to overturn the election. That suit was decided on the safe harbor day, marking electoral votes as conclusive. Trump responded publicly by saying, quote, we're going to have to see who the next administration is because we won in those swing states. Hopefully the next administration will be the Trump administration. Trump then repeated baseless conspiracy theories that the election was stolen from him and called on state governments or the Supreme Court to overturn those results. We were rewarded with a victory, he said, which is not true. Now let's see if somebody has the courage, whether it's a legislator or legislators, or whether it's a justice of the Supreme Court or a number of justices, let's see if they have the courage to do what everybody in this country knows is right. The clock continues to tick on pandemic relief as Trump has asked Republican senators to send another round of stimulus checks of as much as $2,000 to Americans. 
Mitch McConnell did not include a second round of stimulus payments in the relief proposal he released last week. Republican leadership in Congress are listening to Trump on the inclusion of the checks, which is a provision also broadly supported by congressional Democrats. Day 1,421, December 10th. New cases of COVID are now increasing exponentially in the United States, with more than 220,000 now each day. The United States will hit 16 million cases total by Saturday if these trends hold. The USA also set a record yesterday with 3,000 fatalities. Trump asked the Supreme Court to let him join a long-shot lawsuit by Texas seeking to overturn his loss by throwing out the voting results in four states. He also asked Ted Cruz to argue it for him at the Supreme Court. That litigation was joined by 17 other states. The suit argues that changes made by the four states to voting procedures were unlawful. Election law experts said the Texas lawsuit stands little chance of success. President-elect Biden's son, Hunter, said he is under federal tax investigation. In a statement, Hunter said he was confident that I handled my affairs legally and appropriately, including with the benefit of professional tax advisors. He did not detail the circumstances of that investigation. The announcement puts a new spotlight on his troubled financial dealings that Trump had tried to make into a campaign issue. Hunter has long been accused by Republicans of profiting off his political connections. And the House passed a $741 billion defense authorization bill by a veto-proof margin. Trump has threatened to veto that bill because it first does not repeal Section 230, that is the law that shields internet companies from being liable for what's posted on their platforms. It also contains provisions that limit how much money he can allocate for his border wall and requires that Confederate names be stripped from American military bases. The law is expected to pass with a veto-proof margin in the Senate. Prior to President-elect Biden's move into the White House, that residence will receive a much-needed deep cleaning treatment. There have been over 40 positive COVID-19 people in Trump's orbit, and Trump appeared barefaced during a Hanukkah party yesterday with hundreds of guests. Just 27 Republicans have acknowledged Biden's win over Trump in Congress. Two Republicans have publicly maintained that Trump won. 220 Republicans in the House and the Senate would not say who won the election when asked. And when told that her husband might announce a 2024 bid, a source close to Melania said, quote, that might not go over well. These are the Trump Diaries. We debut a brand new song this week from Brandy Younger and Desron Douglas's new album, Force Majeure. Their new release drops today on the International Anthem label. This is The Creator Has a Master Plan.
The creator has a master plan for us all. So yeah, we had this wonderful spread. You know, everyone has these sort of different dietary restrictions over there. There's a, right. a, a divert, not just a diversity of ideologies, but a diversity of palates. Thank you, palates. Yes. So, but they were all delicious. There was the lentil loaf turkey, mm. um, which inside of was a fully keto stuffing, which if to be to be fair was essentially the innards of a turkey placed inside of the lentil loaf really uh, so so it's a it's a it's a bean it's it's a produce based a loaf that is stuffed with with meat right and that's to to give the both the vegans and the keto dieters at the staff give them both something they can enjoy Sure. It does seem to cancel for one to cancel the other out, though, don't you think? Oh, you know, there's there's gradations and what have you. Um, I'm, sure. They, they, they worked out. There was no bad blood. Mm-hmm. It's all coming from the same place. Keto, vegan, yeah. vegetarianism, breathinarianism, pectitarianism, sure. fruitarianism. And, I mean, the, there, there's something there for the freegans, at least. Oh, <laughs> what would a universe what would an institute be if it did not have free food right mm-hmm. um of course we also had a raw food pumpkin pie uh and that of that basically being raw chunks of pumpkin laid in a bowl of flour and it sounds bizarre it sounds sounds not how very appetizing that, how is that even a pie at that point well it's the ingredients of a pie but raw it's like a deconstructed pie I feel like it's, it would be more like a, of a mush at that point. It, it's more lightly dusted pumpkin chunks, but it is raw food, and it was it was not. Um, I would not necessarily make it for myself, but it was quite good. Mm. We also had some mashed lotus root with a fermented fish gravy, sort of a pay, paying homage to the non-Western traditions. We have some a couple of non-Western colleagues sure. at the Institute of Spirit Science. All, all of them who appreciate this dish in, in particular. Um, not necessarily all of them, but it was it was a one little way one one little way to sort of to sort of throw them a bone sure. or a thought, fermented fish in this case. Um, we also had some cranberry sauce. Re- okay. Yeah. And, standard. And and um, for the breathitarians. Um, they have very, very specific dietary needs, but luckily we had a high lumen sun lamp and a canister of Himalayan air brought in just for them to get their their nutritional sort of supplements over so this. So these are these are people that that exclusively breathe for nutrition and stare into the sun. Yes, I see. It's a very, very compelling field of research coming out of there. Um, Certainly. And, and to, to your earlier point where you sort of almost, I feel, very snidely implied that we were putting people at risk by having this event. I, I think that's the common belief. Well, well, perhaps for the common people. But we, we have safety was first and foremost mm-hmm. on our mind. We had antiseptic incense burning the entire time. The Great Hall itself is a Faraday cage preventing any sort of RF interference, um, entity interference. And, of course, the food was cooked with 100% antiviral herbs and spices. We're talking things about things like turmeric and sage and— What make these these antiviral? um, Have you ever put turmeric on a virus? 
Me personally, if you had, not with intention. If you had, you would know that there is. It is one of the the most potent virucidal agents known to both Western, Eastern, and world and spiritual science. I see. Well, uh, Rowan, were you at least wearing? masks or, or face coverings of any kind not 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 necessarily there was a point in the evening um after the meal where um as is we spend with every harvest knocked we all undressed and got oiled up yeah wait um excuse me wait wait the... okay i i think i get the point uh there rowan. were masks involved at that point in the evening okay yeah that's that's great um well thank you for that rowan Broadcast every Saturday, 8 to 9 p.m. The Lump and Week in Review is produced by the staff and volunteers of WLPN LP Chicago, the community radio of the future. The Week in Review is overseen by Jamie Trecker, voiceovers by Shanna Van Volt, additional production by Cole Eisenberg, Julie Wu, Sergio Rodriguez, Neil Gaynor, Lane Gerbig, Alexander Jerry, John Piotrowski, Ari Shellist, and Annie Klein. Live music production by Ari Shellist. The Lumpen theme, background, and interstitial music is by Mike Perkins. The Lumpen Radio Sting is by Dan Jugal. For more information on Lumpen Radio, visit lumpenradio.com. Yeah.